God, I thank you for the richness of this text. I thank you for the beauty of your steadfast love. God, I pray that as we study this passage, that we may be encouraged, strengthened by the wonder of your love. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, Darren uh, mentioned um, I lead an organization called Youth for Christ, uh, and our our focus is very much reaching uh, lost, disadvantaged young people, and we have one specific ministry that's called Juvenile Justice Ministry. It, It works with young people in the juvenile justice system. Uh, and I have a, a friend of mine, uh, his name is Rick. He's connected to another chapter of Youth for Christ uh, in the Chicago area. And I remember him uh, describing to me uh, an experience that he had uh, when he uh, stepped into a juvenile detention center uh, to serve in ministry. Uh, and with tears in his eyes, he told me about one specific reaction uh, from a young person in the juvenile detention center. After a leader must have shared uh, some form of a gospel message, this young man in the detention center stated, you're telling me that I can be forgiven. I want you to think about those words. Here's a young person who in the eyes of this world in many ways is a criminal, uh, in many ways could be hopeless. And in this powerful moment, he encountered the good news of the living God who, as this passage that we just read notes, does not deal with us according to our sins. You're telling me that I can be forgiven. Think about that statement and how it points to the glorious picture of a God who delights in us, who forgives our iniquity, and who abounds in steadfast love. God is truly worthy to be praised, and and the reality is that His steadfast love and mercy is not reserved for society's outcasts. It's not merely for the broken teen in the juvenile detention center. The heart of the statement, you're telling me that I can be forgiven, is for each and every one of us. We can all praise God that He does not deal with us according to our sins. We are all in need of His mercy and grace. And this passage this morning that we're looking at, it's going to demonstrate to us that God is worthy of all praise through His steadfast love for His people. I'll say that again. God is worthy of all praise through his steadfast love for his people. Now just a few minutes of context here in this psalm before jumping into some key points. David writes uh, this psalm of praise, uh, and we're not exactly clear on the exact circumstances in which he writes. But what we do know is this about David. He was a man after God's heart, who was also fully aware of his own sin and his need for God's grace. And there's even reason to wonder if this psalm was written in the latter years of David's life, as there seems to be a strong grasp on sin, uh, the beauty of grace, and the brevity of life. And what's unquestionably clear here is his need for grace, and the steadfast love is on full display. Additionally, um, there are some arrows here 
that point backwards to the unique context of the Old Testament. Is, is verse 7 notes the ways of Moses and the people of Israel. And, and David makes a connection that Israel's survival in the time of Moses was due to God's steadfast love for his people. So uh, just a couple of uh, unique points concerning the context here. Our hearts are in many ways like David's. We can identify with him that we are in need of God's grace. And secondly, there are also arrows in our current circumstances that point to God's steadfast love. The markers of, of God's faithfulness extend throughout history. We see it here, and we can see it in our individual lives of how God has been faithful to us, as well as just the corporate life of his church. And so, with this in view, um, let's dive into what David writes in this hymn of praise. And we're going to break this up into four different parts. And the first and the last part are the same, as this psalm is, is bookended by the praise of bless the Lord. In fact, uh, and kids, if, if you're taking notes, we see the word bless seven times in this psalm. And so the thread of this passage is very much about blessing the Lord and praising Him. So verses 1 through 5 demonstrate to us that we are to bring praises to the Lord. Bring praises to the Lord. Notice that the psalmist here first begins with praise. And it makes me think of uh, the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to touch on the Lord's Prayer uh, numerous times throughout this. The Lord's Prayer starts, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. His name is exalted first. I want you to think about your prayer life. If, If I'm honest, I have a tendency to rush through praising God and kind of focus on my request. Or perhaps um, maybe I just really emphasize kind of confession of my own sin and perhaps limit dwelling on God's loving goodness and therefore praising him. Certainly we should come to God with our request and come to God in confession, but we certainly shouldn't bypass praising him. The encouragement here is bring your praises to the Lord. Look at how the psalmist begins. I want to highlight, too, the strong verbs here. Forget not, forgives, heals, redeems, crowns, satisfies. Like, like think about this progression. Like, forget not the goodness of the Lord that He forgives you, He heals you, He redeems you, He crowns you, He satisfies you. That's a beautiful progression. I think of the famous hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. You're likely familiar with this hymn. Uh, It contains these lyrics, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, oh, take and seal it with thy spirit from above. Earlier in the song, the words are streams of mercy, never ceasing, Call for songs of loudest praise. Can we acknowledge that our hearts are prone to wander? I know mine is. What does praise do? 
praise reorients our wandering hearts to God's mercy and love. As circumstances in life challenge us, create anxiety, praise redirects our wandering hearts to the faithful love of God, our Father. And what I want to encourage you in is that a heart of adoration cannot be bypassed in the life of a Christian. In fact, if this happens, I think we tend to drift in some unhealthy directions. Perhaps we'll drift towards pride if we lose sight of our need for grace. Or on the opposite end of the spectrum, we could drift towards despair if we think we are unworthy of grace. These are not healthy destinations in the life of a Christian. Praise is our anchor that keeps us connected to the steadfast love of the Lord and our identity as believers. And this, in turn, it eliminates pride because we see that God is worthy of all praise, not us. And it also eliminates despair because we see that God loves us as we are. So the first encouragement from this text is to bring your praises to the Lord. Praise directs the posture of our heart and is therefore critically important in the life of a believer. Shift into the next section, verses 6 to 14. We see why the Lord is worthy of all praise. I want you to think right now about the art of a good love note probably written a love note at some point. Um, And it's one thing to write the words, I love you. Um, It's another thing to kind of write all the reasons that that love is true. I mean, husbands and wives, you you can think about, you know, maybe at some point you've written a love note to one another. And probably the really good love notes, maybe the ones that have even been kept, um, they contain some detail. Like they go beyond just, I love you. And they have a lot of emotion and language that's wrapped up into the note that is really special and meaningful and that one clings on to. You know, kids, maybe, uh, maybe you write to your parents on Father's Day or Mother's Day, and, and you may write, I love you, but I'm guessing what is most meaningful to your parents on those days is perhaps what you add to that. Perhaps something like, you are the best dad in the world. Or, uh, Mom, thank you for loving me even when I'm having a hard day. Or, Dad, thank you for playing with me and making me laugh. Or, Mom, thank you for always helping me with my homework. Like, in many ways, all those reasons, that's kind of the good stuff of a good love note. Those reasons make the statement, I love you, tangible. Those reasons bring those words to life and connect to one's heart. What I'm getting at is really the art of a good love note. It contains detail that demonstrates how that love is experienced. And I highlight this because the psalmist is is moving in this direction in these verses. The, The preceding verses feature praise, and God is worthy of all praise. Now it's time to unpack why he is worthy of all praise. And this this praise in affection for makes this praise of God tangible and experienced. God is not 
cold-hearted and, and removed from us. But through praise, we can delight in His loving presence. So like how the art of a good love note can create some relational intimacy, the art of praise creates intimacy with God, our Father. So let's explore some big ideas here of why the Lord is is worthy of all praise. If you were to highlight kind of one verse that captures the essence of the psalmist's praise here, it would be verse 8, which says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Abounding in steadfast love. The following verses then unpack this profound reality. Verse 10 captures that. God does not deal with us according to our sins. Verse 11 then provides this beautiful imagery of God's forgiveness. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love towards those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. Just think of of David's words here and how they make the love of God tangible. He is bringing to life the character and beauty of God. And he keeps going. Verse 13, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And verse 14, For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Sometimes in Scripture, we need to just sit on passages for a while. Like, there is richness here to dwell on. And this feels like that. I really want to capture the picture of God as our loving Father. And I understand uh, that this imagery can at times be hard for some because earthly fathers are not perfect. And some have experienced the opposite of love in such relationships. But God perfectly embodies the characteristics of a loving father. How so? Well, we read it here. He's merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, shows compassion, and remembers that we are dust. His love and affection for us is unfading. Like the, like the psalmist, I am well aware of my sin and imperfections, specifically as a father. Parenting often reminds me of my need for grace. In fact, it can do this on a pretty much daily basis. Parenting also reminds me of God's love for me as a father. And I want to share an image with you. I typically rock our youngest son to sleep. He's now three years old. Uh, And as I hold him, I sometimes just dwell upon the depths of my love for him. Like for any parents here, 
you can identify with this. Like you can't put into words the overwhelming love that you have for your children. And sometimes certain moments, like rocking a little one to sleep, provide some tangible reminders of that. And as I've reflected on such moments, I've realized that the loving affection I have for my child is truly a reflection of God's love for me. Like I I know my sin, how my heart is prone to wander and often void of love. And yet I experience the depths of love for my child in a way that words cannot express. So here's my question. How much more does a perfect, holy, loving God delight and treasure you as his child? That's worth dwelling on. His love is perfect. Envision him holding you as his child and delighting in everything about you. He created you. He sustains you. He knows we sin as he remembers our frame, and yet he chooses love for us. He is our true Father. And after all, how how does Jesus advise us to come before God in the Lord's Prayer? Our Father. So God is truly worthy of all praise. And may, may these verses make the character of God more tangible to you, both in your individual lives and in the communal life of this church. We praise God and experience His steadfast love individually, but also through the communal life of His people. And notice the pronouns, us and we, in these verses. God uses the gift of His people to help manifest these realities to one another. Again, God is truly worthy of all praise. Shift into verses 15 to 19 now, where we see that His kingdom is forever. Again, His kingdom is forever. See, this world... It skews our thinking. We are prone to forget that God's kingdom rules over all and that his steadfast love is from everlasting to everlasting. This world skews our thinking. It does that as we become consumed with earthly troubles and are prone to forget the eternal nature of God's kingdom. Let's just consider the year 2020. A global pandemic, a polarizing political climate, racial hostility. Now, I'm 32 years old, and I can't remember another year quite like this. So, some questions. Has God's kingdom ever been threatened during this year? Has his steadfast love been at risk amidst all of this? Has the throne of God been shaken? As believers in Jesus Christ, the the obvious answer to these questions is no. 
God's kingdom is never threatened. His love is never at risk. His throne is never shaken. And so therefore, resting in the eternal nature of God's kingdom can frame our engagement in the current realities of our world. I think there are two critical errors to avoid, and hear me out on these. Think the first critical error that we even as Christians, not just our culture, but we as Christians too, are prone to making, the first would be angst. A responsive angst. What do I mean by that? This involves paranoia, anger, and hostility surrounding current realities that do not magnify the love of God or edify his church. Perhaps an example will help. You know, social media is always an interesting place, but it's especially an interesting place in 2020, often filled with harsh judgments, misinformed opinions, anger, goofy memes. Like, does this form of reaction, centered upon angst, demonstrate the abounding love of God? Like, would the non-Christian world look at Christians behaving in this way and think, wow, I'm enlightened now after hearing that? Most likely not. Angst. I think it's a common reaction that we can have. Second reaction is kind of the other end of the spectrum. Be disengagement. So this involves kind of passive disengagement from our broken world as we await the future heavenly kingdom. Okay, an example could just be this could involve just a passive unwillingness to understand people who might look different, think different from us, and seeking to understand the narrative of their lives, which you know, could involve racism, abuse, pain. We can sit on the sidelines where those very broken realities happening before our eyes. And so in an effort to love God and love neighbor, we are wise to consider humble engagement with broken people. Kind of here's my big question. What does it look like to fruitfully engage in the brokenness of our world while clinging to the everlasting nature of God's kingdom? That's the big question. What does it look like to fruitfully engage in the brokenness of our world while clinging to the everlasting nature of God's kingdom? Like, there's tension here. We should not drift towards angst that is characterized by anger and judgment, nor should we drift towards disengagement. We should rather consider how to embody a faithful presence in our current world that points eternal glory and honor to the name of Jesus Christ. A faithful presence. This posture shares the love of God in the here and now and also points to the future glory in heaven. And think of just how the Lord's Prayer frames this. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our days here on earth are short, as, as verses 
15 to 16 capture. God's steadfast love, though, is forever. And his kingdom rules over all, as we see here. So may our lives reflect this. You know, perhaps this means that we learn to listen and love those who look and think differently from us. That we welcome the stranger, as Scripture encourages us to, and and, and care for the brokenhearted. That we share the hope of the gospel in word and deed to our neighbors. And that we fruitfully engage in the life of His church for His honor and glory. I want to share just a simple example with you, and what I like this, about this is it's not anything too profound. I, in my past job, I used to work at an alternative school as a Christian organization, um, working with very broken teens in our, in our community. And my boss, each Christmas, would invite all these kids to his house for a feast. Many of these kids had, had not experienced Christmas, the warmth of Christmas in this way, or heard um, kind of the narrative of the Christmas story. And these experiences were are always remarkably powerful as these kids could step into a home, experience that hospitality, learn the Christmas story as outlined in Scripture, receive gifts that people had gotten from them. There was a sense of love that was deep and powerful. You know, sometimes we are prone to think of the profound ways to demonstrate God's love. You know, perhaps missions overseas or fostering, or or, or church planting in in a poor neighborhood. And we do need those things. Like some of us may need to step into those things. But we can all join God in what may even feel mundane. Dinner with neighbors. Lunch with a non-Christian friend. Serving through your local church or a local Christ-centered mission. What role can we play in God's redemptive work? And let's not be led by angst, and let's not be led by disengagement, but let's be led by His Spirit as we reflect His character in a broken world. Now, here's the truth. As we praise God and reflect upon His love, like think, think about the preceding verses and what we've talked about with His love— we should then reflect his love in response as we remember the fullness of God's kingdom. That his kingdom is forever. The last section of this text, verses 20 to 22, we return to where we were at the start to bring praises to the Lord. Here the psalmist has painted a a beautiful mosaic of God's abounding love and resulting in in now a conclusion of praise. And in some ways, this is kind of like like an artist taking a step back from a beautiful painting and, and delighting in the work. The psalmist has dwelled upon the beauty of God's character and is concluding with delight and praise. And notice... Notice this. Notice the fullness of all who the psalmist calls to praise. Calls angels, hosts, works of creation, as well as one's soul. 
And I want you to think about how all of God's creation points glory and honor to Him. From the angels to the works of creation. You Think of a, a beautiful sunset. To our individual souls, we are drawn to worship by the living God. All of God's creation is an arrow that points to our Creator, who is worthy of all praise. So are you drawn to worship by His love? The reality is uh, we are all worshipful creatures. Um, in fact, uh, we, we are always worshiping something. Um, as we discussed earlier, our hearts are prone to wander. In fact, uh, one of my favorite authors, uh, Tim Keller, he calls our hearts idol factories. Our hearts are constantly crafting idols, things to worship other than God, that are ultimately empty. And here's what praise does. Praise quiets the idols of our hearts and replaces them with God's love. Keller writes uh, in his book, Counterfeit Gods, he writes this, If we are deeply moved by the sight of his love for us, it detaches our hearts from other would-be saviors. Would-be saviors, saviors being lowercase s, are not necessarily bad things either. They could be a a good thing made an ultimate thing, such as money or perhaps the success of our children in school or attachment to a sports team. Praise of God through a deep moving in our spirit due to his love for us detaches our hearts from false gods. And praise is therefore critically important to understanding our place in creation and the one and only who is worthy of all worship. So bring praises to the Lord. Delight in His love. Know His love is abounding. Key points again from this text. Bring praises to the Lord. Know why the Lord is worthy of all praise and know that His kingdom is forever. And all this points to the big idea of this text that God is worthy of all praise through his steadfast love for his people. This beautiful psalm uh, can certainly make us dwell on the beauty of Jesus. As on the cross, Jesus took the penalty of our sin, which is where the fullness of God not dealing with us according to our sins was realized. The fullness of his love was on display in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so may this psalm cause us to dwell upon the fullness of God's love as manifested throughout Scripture. He is worthy of all praise from beginning to end. The Alpha and the Omega, again, his kingdom is forever. As you've listened to this, perhaps um, the depths of God's love is new to, new to you. You're still learning about it. And if it is, may you reflect on the love of God and His forgiveness 
like the juvenile I referenced earlier. So you're telling me that I can be forgiven? Yes. Through Jesus and the abounding love of God, our sins are forgiven through faith in Him. Earlier, Darren read from Ephesians 2 that unpack that glorious reality. And for those of us who know Christ and the power of His love, may this text cause us to drill deeper in understanding His love. Like, we won't fully understand it in this life. Our hearts are prone to wander again. But we can drill deeper and experience the depths of His grace. And so may praise of Him orient our hearts towards our identity as God's beloved children. Let's pray. God, we are humbled by your love for us. God, forgive us for how our hearts are prone to wander. Forgive us for how we respond to the depths of your love for us. God, help us to understand the richness and beauty in who you are and that you do not deal with us according to our sins and that your love for us is so deep. God, we praise you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.